BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader Stay Home Puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Jarowski show as I speak. It is Friday, August 27th, 2021. Uh, the headline on the front page of my beloved Bright One, home delivered as always. Police union press slam for comparing vax mandate to Holocaust. John Catanzara has lost his freaking mind. He's the head of the Fraternal Order Police. MAGA has lost its freaking mind. We'll get into that and other issues, uh, particularly a TV show named White the White Lotus, which uh, my distinguished guest and I have been just chopping at the bit to discuss for the last two weeks. So without further ado, I'll ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, and then we'll get down to business. Take it away, distinguished guest. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an assistant metro editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, and she's also uh, a columnist, and she's got a lot of opinions, and she's not afraid to share them. And God bless Ramana Hussein. Comes on this show every other Friday, uh, and our listeners love her. All right, Ramana. Wow. I mean, you and I have been dying to talk about the White Lotus, which uh, should be called White People Behaving Badly, uh, as I... Uh, quipped to you before uh, we uh, uh, came on the air today. I haven't seen white people behave so badly in a TV show uh, since like I saw a documentary about the KKK and they were wearing uh, white sheets. Uh, this is a little more nuanced and subtle, uh, and, but it's very profound in its own way. And uh, so we will take the deep dive on that. Uh, when we get to Ramana's recommendations, we'll probably expand it. A bit on that but before we do i just i need to get your thoughts on this and uh i talked about it briefly yesterday uh, on the show uh, your colleague france billman seems to bring out the best in john catanzara uh, best in quotes i have uh, he of course is the head of the fraternal order police uh and Lori lightfoot proposed that uh or ordered i should say that city workers including police officers um uh, take the vaccine to which John Canizera got in the horn with uh, Franz Spielman and said, and I'm quoting here, what did he say? 
We're in America, goddammit. We don't want to be forced to do anything, period. This ain't Nazi fucking Germany where they say, step into the fucking showers, the pills won't hurt you. What the fuck? Romana, what's going on? I think the reason uh, we do probably need mask mandates is the numbers are going up with the Delta variant, and we need to wear the masks because people are refusing to get vaccinated, as well as not wearing masks when they were supposed to or are supposed to. So that's why it's needed. So I definitely, I understand why we need the mask mandate. I don't think anybody wants, I don't think anybody enjoys wearing a mask, especially when you're in a tight room and it's hot, but we have to do it if we want to keep the numbers down. And if people keep insisting on not getting vaccinated, this is going to be something that we're going to be doing on and off for a while. Well, we get into this issue where it becomes a collective bargaining issue. Uh, So for instance, Does Mayor Lori Lightfoot have the right to unilaterally command all workers in the city, even those who are in a union, uh, to take a shot? And I I do not know the specifics of the collective bargaining agreements that govern the relationship between Lori Lightfoot and the the city workers. I do know, like, for instance, in the NBA and the NFL, the basketball and the football associations, the league has to negotiate to some degree with the players setting up protocols or punishments or uh, if they not, I guess punishments, the wrong word, but uh, requirements, if they get COVID, how long they have to sit out. If they don't have the shot, you have a certain number of days uh, that you're allowed, you're forced to be in quarantine more days than if you have the shot, if you get COVID. So, uh, and then test, okay, if you're not going to get the shot, then you have to be testing. So I presume it has to be collective bargained, but the opposition, Help me out here, Ramona. We talked about this briefly uh, the last show you're on. The just the anger uh, that's in Kent Zare's voice and the violence, really, uh, that's in his the metaphor yeah. he, you know, he drew up. What what's what's going on here? What do you see? How do you see this? Well, I don't even know why it's a political issue. I mean, a lot of people. Um, I don't know, Ben. If you went to school, you have to prove that you're back got vaccinations for certain illnesses, correct, when you were younger. I mean, I had to. So, and, and nobody raised any sort of objections then. It's become a political issue, you know, for reasons we know. But it's it's just ridiculous that people are fighting against something that is going to help, you know, reduce the numbers and help those individuals as well. We've heard so many stories where people aren't vaccinated and then they end up in the hospital and they're like sitting there while they're fighting for their life and saying things like, Oh, I wish I had gotten the vaccine. And I understand, you know what? I I completely understand the concerns about the vaccine coming out really quick. And, you know, people saying that we don't know what the vaccine is going to do, but there's so like uh, so many other people are saying we take medicine all the time. Do we sit there and look at the labels when we take like a cough syrup or, or anything that we put in our body, people put like, you know, people are taking drugs like left and right. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) They're doing hard drugs. They don't know where it came from and they're still putting it in their body. So for people to sit there and bring, you know, when we have scientists mostly vouching for this vaccine, questioning it, it's, it's, it's really mind boggling. And I just, you know, my niece brought up a good point. You know, I know Americans love their pets. Do these people get their pets vaccinated? Do they sit there and hold their pets and say, I'm not going to get my pet vaccinated. All these people probably get their pets vaccinated, but they don't want to get themselves vaccinated. And it's, it's one thing if it was an issue where it would, if it only affected 
that individual who one didn't want to take the vaccine, that's one thing. But you not taking the vaccine is going to affect others and basically cause this to spread. You know, we, we get the numbers down. We had the numbers down for a while. And then there's going to be so many different variants. This, this, this COVID, um, COVID-19 is mutating in different ways. And, but we're, you know, people are still reluctant. They're like looking at the numbers. And I think people are, I don't know, people just want, when people want to be in denial, they want to be in denial. And so we're hearing this rhetoric, you know, from the, you know, the head of the police union, comparing it to Nazi Germany. And, and, you know, obviously it's very, very offensive that he's comparing this to, you know, Nazi Germany and, you know, the, and the Jewish people bringing, led to their deaths, you know, during this time in the concentration camp. So it's, it's crazy. You know, a lot of companies, a lot of private companies, I don't know if you heard, but Delta Airlines is um, basically penalizing their employees. And so private companies are definitely starting to penalize individuals for not getting the vaccine, or at least telling them that if you come to work, you're going to have to at least wear a mask and, you know, quarantine when something happens. So yeah, there's going to be rules. And city of Chicago, I guess it's a public, you know, where it's, it's, it would be called like, if you're working for the city of Chicago, it's a, it's a public entity, right? But I think the mayor has a right to enact things, you know, police officers work with the public. So you're not going to get vaccinated when you go up to someone or you're, wor- you know, working in the police department or you're driving around, you're going to not be vaccinated. But we knew that was going to come. We knew people were going to fight against this. There's so many people who work for the city of Chicago and there's not, you know, people fighting against not getting the vaccine is like everywhere. I, I don't think it, it, you can just walk outside, you know, your house and do a survey and you'll find someone who's a anti-vaxxer within minutes. Well, I, I, I've, to the point of the police department, it is a little uh, upsetting to, to think that of course, the police de- of course. The, that the police department is so alienated from the rest of the city. It's the point I keep making and I will continue to make. Uh, they're so alienated from the rest of the city that the head of their union is babbling on like this. Like this is the greatest injustice. If this is the greatest injustice you've ever faced, John Canizaro, you've had a blessed life. If the greatest injustice you've ever faced as a human being in your existence is that someone has mandated you to take a vaccine that will prevent you from getting a horrific disease and possibly spreading it to other people, you've had a good life. You should be thanking God every day. What a good life I have. This is the only thing I have to complain about. And help me out here. Uh, So I find it really just I'm just my advice to all police officers who are free never to listen to me because nobody else does. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) Why would you choke go down this path? You realize you're in a city where roughly 80 percent over voted against Donnie Trump and people want to get the vaccine to a large degree and view rhetoric like this is really ugly. Why would you link yourself to this? I I can't just from a practical standpoint, I do not understand why, how you think this is going to help you win over support from the public on a lot of different issues. It it won't win over, it won't win over um, support from the public, but it will win support from the people who are already, already anti-vax. That's what I think, because they look at rhetoric like this and they're like, yeah, it's like Nazi Germany. That's what they're forcing us to do this. They're forcing us to, you know, 
get the shot, like they're forcing the Jewish people to go into these showers. So I don't think I don't think it, you know, helps people like you and I, we're not going to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, but but trust me, all the people who are anti-vaxxers, this just enables them more and it kind of helps them double down. That's what I think. Well, I mean, I I wrestle with whether I should address this in a column or write it because it seems so obvious, but having just a minimal study of Nazism, the rise of Nazism in Germany in the 30s will show you that it did not begin with the state ordering people to take a vaccine. <laughs> it's just so freaking absurd. <laughs> it just is a historical analogy. It didn't start with Hitler and Goebbels saying, you must take this medicine. It's going to be good for you. And, it's like and, they make and, this and stuff be, up. Go ahead. Let's be honest. If the vaccine was out during that time, the Jewish people would not be getting it in Nazi Germany. There, <laughs> That's true. So I, I don't know. And... Um, Really, uh, I don't know, MAGA, uh, just refrain from Nazi metaphors. I'm just a little piece of advice. Not that MAGA's going to take any advice from me, but. But you know, bizarre. and the funny thing is, but the funny thing is, MAGA and Trump, a lot of their policies were the policies that were similar before the concentrate, you know, in Germany that ended up becoming, you know, Nazi Germany. You know what I mean? So all these policies against certain individuals. That's more like Nazi Germany than anything. So I think I think it's just the the rhetoric that they're using, trying to enable or just embolden everybody else. It's anti vaxxer uh, Yeah, you it's make a very good point. Targeting whole groups of people and reducing entire groups of people to single stereotypes so that it's easier, what, to keep them out of the country, to malign them, to lock them in cages, what have you. That was That's at the mm-hmm. heart of what Trumpism was about from the moment. Exactly. He, yeah. And uh, that has more in line, metaphorically speaking, with fascism in Germany than <laughs> a liberal government saying, please, people, please, please take this vaccine. <laughs> By the way, in the midst of all this madness, I got a press release. I don't know if you got the same one from the Governor Pritzker's uh, office saying, the, hey, good news. The last, uh, this is, you, you, you'll love this, scholarships have been awarded to the following people who won the lottery to take the vaccine. Remember the lottery to get people to take the vaccine back in the day? Yeah. They were trying to uh, sugar instead of a vinegar. And uh, yeah, so they just announced the win. I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> this world is utterly insane. You got to beg people to take a vaccine. Uh, all right. Uh, Justice Smollett, we've talked so much about this. This, of course, is everybody. Nobody needs a recitation of what the Justice Smollett case is about. Even David Chappelle has made comedy bits about it, which I just, by the way, uh, Ramona happened to watch again the other day. It was hilarious. Uh, David Chappelle's bit on uh, Juicy Smollett, the great French actor. But interesting, Smollett, my bad. Yeah. Interesting story in today's bright one. Uh, sometimes, although I guess it was an AP story, that the case is still, you know, Jesse Smollett is still, uh, his case is still very much alive in the Cook County uh, court system. Very bizarre, in my humble opinion, a ruling by the judge in that matter. And you covered the county, the, the courthouse, um, criminal courthouse. Please explain to folks what the ruling was. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not procure. Take it away, Romano. Um, the judge basically yesterday, um, so, this case is before Judge James Lynn. Uh, 
Jesse Smollett, he's still um, awaiting trial for people who forgot about this case, but um, he basically was charged with disorderly conduct, as we know, in 2019 for allegedly making up this um, hate crime. And then the charges were dropped. He was charged again by, in, by special prosecutor. So the case is still pending and the judge is still going over what, you know, lawyers are going to be talking about when the trial comes up. And the judge did say he wants this case, this trial to come before 2021 is over. So maybe we'll see a trial before this year's over. So the judge basically yesterday had a ruling um, that, you know, raised everybody's eyebrows. He said that Jesse Smollett's um, attorneys cannot call on Kim Fox as a witness or as a, as someone to question. So, you know, obviously Kim Fox's office, as we know, is the one that dropped the charges in 2019 before he was, before the actor was charged again. So a lot of people are probably thinking, wouldn't she be a key part of the testimony and, you know, you know, talk about the case. So, yeah, um, I think a lot of people are just kind of scratching their heads on that one. I wasn't in court. Um, our court reporter was out for the day. And I admit, I did not know this was up. So that's why we had the AP story. So I don't know what exactly happened in court or if the judge, like, gave a reasoning for it. He didn't put out an official um, order. So there's nothing that we had to read. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely an interesting uh, development in the case. I think we're all going to be watching this one. So I don't know what this means in terms of Je Jesse's, Jesse's defense. So it'll be interesting. I, uh, I have to say this. Uh, there's a part of me, I've been in this news business for 40 odd years, and I always want to know. And like you, Romana, and uh, I'm, I've always been on the outside looking in, trying to figure out what the people who have power are up to. And, and I welcome any little sliver of evidence that gives me uh, some sense of what they're up to. Uh, and so in this particular case, the, the great unanswered question is, uh, who called Kim Fox? You know what I mean? And was what was uh, exchanged and so in other words we know that uh, uh tina chen the political consultant the powerhouse democratic uh, chief uh, operative who used to work for michelle obama made a call connecting kim fox to some unknown member of jesse smollett's family uh, kim fox talked to her that was her big mistake in my humble opinion we've had this conversation many times i think that was a huge mistake on her part uh but what was said, who that person was, what promises were made, that kind of thing. We don't know. And even after all the investigation by Dan Webb and money that's spent on a Romano, we still don't know. And so it's like the, the one thing worth knowing, we don't know. And now this judge, it's so typical Chicago. Well, I'm sorry, she can't testify. So now we won't know. And that you know, and I mean, I, I know the Jesse Smollett case is small potatoes compared to everything else going on in the world. I know that. We make fun of ourselves for talking so much about it. But at the same time, I don't know. Don't you want to know? I, I, right? I do. I do. And I, I know a lot of people think like, oh, who cares? But it does. It does. I don't know. I think it, it's something that we need to look into what exactly happened at the state's attorney's office and whether there's any favors pulled because Jesse Smollett's an actor and his, you know, as we know, Tina Chen was involved and I think she was a family friend. 
Tina Chen, by the way, she resigned from her position at Times Up because I think I think Times Up coached or like gave um, Andrew Cuomo um, some you know advice on how to handle the allegations against him. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of players involved, and you know, the fact that there's big names involved, and this is an actor; he's not the run of the mill person who gets charged at, you know, in, in the criminal court system. So it's like, and he's not even like a top actor, but this like, just kind of like raises questions as to like, how come charges were dropped? How come this case, this, it wasn't a big deal with what happened at the end of the day, but why did the charges get dropped against him? And these are questions I think that, you know, that should be asked, especially when, you know, whether the system was fair for him as a fair in compared to other people who get charged for other things and get locked up. So, uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, just sweep it under the carpet and move on classic Chicago. All right. Uh, and now it's time to get to, uh, the white Lotus. Uh, the appetizer has uh, been consumed and we're getting to the main course of sorts. Usually it's the Romano's recommendation, uh, is like the last five minutes or so, but this, this, this show had had a real profound impact on me. I'm almost embarrassed to say because it's basically a soap opera uh, and lingered <laughs> with me far longer than I ever uh, uh, would have thought it would. And I think it had a similar impact with you. Uh, so why don't why don't you just start from the top, uh, Ramana? Give folks just like a backdrop. And and we're gonna I'm gonna say we may I, we're talking here without script, so there may be some spoilers. Uh, you know, uh, spoilers, we'll try not to, but I'm not going to kill myself bending over backwards. <laughs> and, uh, it's not like when we did once upon a time in Hollywood, when that came out, we would just warn people up front. We're taking a deep dive. There's going to be spoilers, but uh, we'll try not to do too many spoilers. All right. Give, get this set up, uh, Romana. Okay. First of all, before I start, I have to say that Ben really recommended this show to me and he told me I would like it because it's about white people being annoying. And, <laughs> and looking I, bad. I laughed when he said that. And and I remember um, my younger sister and a family friend of mine started watching it. And we, we were on a text group and they were talking about it and they were like complaining about one of the characters. And then I was like, oh. And so then when you told me, I was like, oh, okay, I think I'll take a look at it. People are, and then I saw a lot of chatter about it. I actually started watching it like right when the last show dropped. And so I saw Twitter was going crazy. And so I was like, oh, I better watch this show. So the show, um, basically, the backdrop is um, a bunch of individuals, uh, mostly white people, going to this resort in Hawaii. It's a hotel resort. And it's like different scenarios. And the show, basically, the backdrop is about, like, you know, there's this one family. There's this one woman who's there. There's this one couple who's there for, there for their honeymoon. So, you know, they all have different stories. But the theme of the story is definitely white privilege and white entitlement and how, uh, you know, basically, basically how, um, you know, kind of people keep this system in place where white people always get away with things and, you know, say things that they say. And they, they also kind of, you know, have commentary on how like white people say the right things. But I, I thought it was a good example of how white people still love their privilege and try to exert their power on others and use them. So I thought I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was um, pretty clever. 
you know, because a lot of people who would watch this, like, I don't think my husband, McDumpkey, would ever want to watch this show. He would look <laughs> at it and it's like, I don't want to, because I don't want to watch these people on a resort. But, you know, he, you know, he probably wouldn't want to watch that. And then, but I, 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 you know, I was like, well, let me, let me take a look. I, I was curious because everybody was chatting about it. And then, you know, obviously the, the last episode has this crazy scene that I, I saw everybody on Twitter was talking about. So I had to like avert my eyes for a while, not like watch that. And then once you watch the last episode, you know what people are talking about. But the show actually starts off with a um, dead body. And, you know, it's kind of like an Agatha Christie way. Like you're trying to figure out who's the dead body. And, you know, I won't give anything away. But in between that mystery and what's happening, um, I think there was a lot of good uh, commentary. And there was like, there's this one family who's there. They're a white family. And they, the daughter is a college-age daughter. They're, and then she has a friend who um, is a person of color. And those two women are very obnoxious in a way but during as the show unfolds you kind of see the relationship and the woman of color all of a sudden has this epiphany and then you know she's kind of like you know kind of feeling guilty for kind of hanging out with white people but then it the show I think the way she behaves shows how people of color sometimes fall into this trap too where white you know white supremacy still is in play and how we're at fault too in supporting the system. So it kind of, I think it had some clever commentary on people of color as well and how we have to kind of play the game. And, you know, we live in a white world, but we do things to protect ourselves while trying to elevate others that are like us. Yeah. Well, that was good. Uh, so let me just say this. Uh, the the thing that really stings about the show, or one of the things that really stings, that like if you're watching it and reflecting on how you live your life, et cetera, and so forth, uh, is that none of the white people in the show, and as Ramana said, uh, they're they're it focus. It's like a demented love boat. Are you old enough to have seen the love boat? <laughs> It, yes, I, I. You know, I should tell you. I think I've told you before that we never had babysitters when we were little. Like all our Indian families, like our parents would get together on Friday, Saturdays. They didn't monitor us at all, so we turn on the TV, and then you know, I think it was Love Boat and Fantasy Island, and we're all like seven, eight years old, six, five, six, seven, or eight years old, and we'd be watching. So we, I, I definitely know what Love Boat is. I know what Fantasy Island is, and if we stayed up late enough, Benny Hill would turn up, and that oh. totally. We were like, what's that? <laughs> Love Betty that Hill. Too. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, what a weirdo, Betty anyway. Hill. Uh, anyway. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, so it's a demented, it's a demented love boat. And so <clears throat> the uh, the characters uh, who are at this resort, none of them are overtly racist. Like, none of them are wearing MAGA hats. None of them are, uh, you know, <laughs> wearing white hoods. In fact, my guess is if they voted at all, they probably all voted for Obama and are very proud of oh, the fact that they voted totally. for Obama. Well, yeah. I don't know if you saw that one character, the family. Well, my friend really loved the fact that she was a big Hillary Clinton supporter. Yes, Hillary she mentioned Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So my friend's like, I'm so glad they showed her like what these some of these white women Hillary Clinton supporters are like. But we were kind of laughing about that. So no, none of them are Trump supporters at all. They would no. they would not they would not um, vote for Trump. And they probably all are, would be vaccinated. Uh, by the way, the yes. show was made. Uh, I, I 
I'm a little embarrassed to admit I'd done a lot of reading about the show, a mini obsession of mine. The show was uh, produced, filmed uh, during the pandemic. It's from uh, the end of 2020. And the restrictions on the set were, um, my God, the Chicago Police Department would go nuts over this. I mean, they uh, <laughs> don't tell Canazera. They're outrageous. Oh, my God. I mean, they, they made people wear masks. Canazera, man. You would not want to be uh, on the White Lotus. They made the people wear masks all day. If you were if you were in makeup, you had to wear a uh, a shield. This is before uh, yeah. the vaccine. Uh, but anyway, the point is, probably all of them would be immediate would be rushing to the el head of the line, elbowing people out of the way to get that vaccine for cheating anything they can to get that vaccine. So this is just, this is a satire about liberals. By the way. Uh, Ramana, as opposed to lefties, I'm just going to say that these are Sorry. liberals, uh, and um, and as such, uh, they don't see, and this is where it really stings, Ramana. They don't see the inconsistency of their ways. They don't hear themselves. They don't hear the like the privilege that drips from the stuff that they say. Uh, they don't. It's not like they ever have a step back and watch how they interact with uh, the staff at the hotel, how condescending they are, how patronizing they are, uh, or their attitude toward the whole people, Hawaiians, whose land they took to build this uh, beautiful luxury hotel. They, they never take a step back and, and just examine it and think about it at all. They just, like you said, they just assume the privilege that has been given to them uh, and they do it feeling self-righteous because, at the very least, they're better than MAGA. So it really is a satire about white liberals. Yeah, if I, I totally agree, and that's what I liked. I that's what I liked about it because I, you know, the one young woman who was a college student, she's always sitting there reading like these random books <laughs> that I would never take on a holiday. By the way, yeah, it's really pretentious. She's reading these books and they're like sitting there. They have a different book every day. It's like, there's no way you finish that book. And they're all like these woke books. And it's like, she's always talking about like the white men. That's like, that's like the typical thing that a lot of people of color get annoyed with white women where they act like they're part of the, they're like part of, they're the victims. And she's sitting there talking about white men and like, but she loves the white privilege. At the end of the day, she's entitled. Like if you watch the dynamic between her and her friend, who's a person of color, she always has the upper hand. And, you know, there's some sort of like hinting of a romantic relationship between the two. But the white woman definitely has an upper hand. And she always sits there and, you know, goes, I'm not like my family. And that's a lot of what we hear from other white people. A lot of times just people of color, like we're all not that bad. And, you know, I'm aware of this, but I mean, Ben, even you at the end of the day, just admit it. You like your white privilege. I mean, I feel like so many people pretend that, you know, they don't have white privilege and they definitely do. And it's like, you don't notice it because you live in that world and you have, and I, you know, a lot of people have pointed out that the show is about class. And I have to tell you, I don't, I do think that there's a little about class, but I think it's mostly about entitlement because, okay, I've been to hotels around the world and not when I'm paying, but when my dad was or somewhere else, there's hotels that are a lot nicer than that. Like, I think that was like, I don't know, to me, and I did see some younger women talk about that, that one family, if they were so privileged, why didn't, why didn't they get another room for their son? It's like he was sleeping in the kitchen. So like, if they were so moneyed, I think it was just one of the things. 
I think it was one of those things where it's like they want to feel like, you know, it's like this entitlement because they're white. They, they're definitely entitled that one guy is like always worried about getting the room that he actually booked. So I think it's this entitlement that white people don't realize that they are always kind of, they live in this world where they're so used to getting everything they want. So when something, they don't get something they want, they become so fixated with it. I don't know. As a person of color, that's something I notice, And it's, it's something that you become used to. And that's the whole thing. It's like we live in a mostly white majority world, right? A lot of us as people of color live in these white worlds and we learn how to live like survive. And I think, I think, I, I don't know. I just feel like all white people do feel entitled. I don't think, I mean, I probably have some entitlement too for myself and I know what my entitlement is, but I think a lot of white people, especially the ones who think they're really woke, they think they're like safe from all this stuff and they're not. But Ben, uh, no. ben, ben, I, I do, ben, I do think you're pretty woke and I think you are aware of your privilege. So uh, I just first want to of say all, I, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to use that clip. He's woke. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's funny. I'm on a tangent here. Uh, I had some fun with this the other day because some reason I, I um, found myself listening to an old George Carlin bit. I do this from time to time. It's a little embarrassing. I go down that uh, YouTube rabbit hole. I talked about this in an earlier show. And it's a bit where uh, he talks about the American dream. And he goes, the reason they call it uh, American dream is that uh, you have to be asleep to believe in it. And uh, I, I love that line. It's it's 16 years old. And now I just think about how, like, the, the Bill Mars of the world are turning against wokeness. And I'm like, which which way are we supposed to go? Are we supposed to be sleeping or are we supposed to be awake? I, help me out, Bill Maher. You're the wise man. Um, interesting thing about white privilege, everybody wants it. And this is another satire in the show. Uh, as Ramana said, one of the guests is a woman of color, they don't. I don't think they ever say exactly what her background is, but uh, she's no. a darker skin than anybody else. Let's just put it that way. Uh, and um, so, she, I don't want to give anything away, but she, something happens, and she needs assistance uh, from the white family. And boy, is she happy to get that assistance! And that's all I'm going to say. Similarly, yeah. there's one uh, black employee at the club at this resort. And she wants some assistance. She could use a little white privilege. And it kind of reminded me of that Dave Chappelle routine. I don't know if you ever saw that one where, um, like, uh, every black guy needs a white friend when they go out uh, at night. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They kiss you get in trouble yeah. with the cops. Hey, let him. Talk. Yeah. And trust me when I tell you I've been in that position. Okay, Ben, go talk. <laughs> uh, and and that's, that's – you see these two characters, particularly the friend of the girl – uh, you know, the friend of the daughter, they're so obnoxious, turn into that white privilege. Okay, could you give me a little snippet of that? Because I could use some right now. And she uses it. She takes it. She uses it. And she is uh, survives as a result. So everybody wants the white privilege, right, Romana? Of course, of course. And I think that's, I think that's, that's why I don't think they're leaving people of color necessarily, um, scot-free so i do think that you know i'm not saying that you know it's like it's just showing that you know people of color can use the system in their advantage too and this is how we uphold a system where white people are always going to have this privilege because of the way we play our roles in this, this society so and you know and then i forgot to mention there is a there's jennifer coolidge is in it too and she plays like she does a really good job playing this 
totally woo-woo. That's what I call these kind of women. They're all like about like, they're totally crazy. And they're like all about oh spirituality. And I mean, it, it did make me laugh. I mean, the whole, she's going to the resort to um, bury her mother's ashes. And um, if you're Indian, you would probably start laughing because she's wearing like this, we call her dupatta. You wear it with your Indian clothes. And she's wearing that um, when she's about to throw her mom's ashes into the water. And it just cracked me up because it's like these women all into like the Indian thing and the, and so it it just made me laugh. I think she did a really good job. She was she was definitely a pretty lost woman, but she was privileged. Um, but she she did a, she did a really good role. I just I, I just thought it was a good show. I didn't think it was like you know I didn't think it was super deep because I think everybody knew that it was about white privilege. But I think there's little bits and pieces that can can go over your head if you don't really pay attention. I mean, there's some characters who are definitely over the top. There's a husband which I talked about in where who's uh, a young couple who are married and uh, he doesn't get the room that he thought he was supposed what that his mom signed him up to have. And so that his whole like goal or his like mission is to get the room and you know, that he's definitely like totally over the top, but then his wife, which I think a lot of people, I saw a really funny joke on Twitter. If anything, the, we learn at the, what with the light <laughs> with White Lotus is that freelance journalists don't pay, get that paid that much money that they'd rather stick with the crazy white guy than oh, go on their goodness. own. That that's so, uh yeah. Go but ahead. She definitely repre she represents, um, I don't know. I might be giving away something in the choice that she makes at the end of the show. You know, she's struggling. She, this woman realizes she married this guy, but, she knew what he was probably about before she married him. But once she gets married to him and they're on this honeymoon, she's kind of getting annoyed with him. She, you know, I read, a. I have to tell you the two articles I, or the two organizations I read or the media organizations I read a lot from, were from NPR and Vox. So I might be taking something from one of their articles, but they, I think NPR pointed out that she represents the white woman who thinks, you know, she definitely knows there's something wrong with the system and she's not necessarily benefiting from the system but at the end of the day she knows if she does stick with it and doesn't say much it'll help her so it's about the white women who stay quiet or really they they say things but they really kind of fall into the you know systematic way things are of white privilege so i thought i thought it was i thought it was good it was entertaining it's only six episodes so if anybody wants something a pandemic watch it's a quick watch. I was able to watch it within a week. Well, it's um, it's each episode's an hour, so uh, it's oh, six well, for hours me, it's totally. A quick yeah, watch. yeah, yeah. Quick. but I, you know what? That's I. As much as I uh, uh, resist giving NPR credit for anything, that's a very uh, good point uh, that the NPR person, or it's probably the Vox article. Anyway, um, but uh, that's pretty. I'm just teasing NPR. NPR, you know, I love you, um, but um, that's a very good point. Uh, and I struggle with this. I'm, I'm going to broaden it a little bit. I struggle with this all the time here in the city of Chicago. I'm always calling on people in the city of Chicago to see what's around them, see how the system, uh, you know, is so unfair and inequitable. And, you know, we should reconsider how we spend our money and uh, divide up the resources. And I remember one time uh, getting into a fight with a precinct captain for Rahm Emanuel. Got into a, uh, it wasn't a physical fight 
fight. I would have lost that. Uh, but it was a verbal fight and uh, ended with me. Uh, he'd come to my house to uh, get me to, believe it or not, support Rom. Uh, and then it ended with me telling him if he didn't get off my front porch, I was going to call the police on him. So it got really uh, and nasty. But I was pointing out all the inequities in the city. And he was like, what do you care? You live in a nice neighborhood. And <laughs> so what? Who cares? And I think, yeah, that um, so many Americans, that's their attitude. It's, uh, you know, how far am I, do I want to go? And there's that one scene that's it's cringing. It, it's, the writing is so good and the acting, by the way, the acting is extraordinary throughout this whole series. Yeah, but everybody's really good. Everyone's good, even if they're, their characters are obnoxious. But Steve Zahn, who plays, the actor who plays the father of the family, uh, who's an interesting character in himself. Anyway, he's sitting uh, at the table, and they get into discussion of the fact that uh, white people have stolen the land from the Hawaiians who lived there uh, before the white people came. And, and he goes on this uh, riff that is just drenched with condescension about, oh, that's just the way the world is, and uh, you, what, are you going to give up your vacation, your nice vacation, because you feel bad about it? The hell with that. I'm going to enjoy this beautiful uh, island, and oh, well, <laughs> shit happens. <laughs> my God damn. Oh, my goodness. What an attitude. And this is the liberal guy, ladies and gentlemen, okay? This is the equivalent of a ROM voter in Chicago. Well, Ben, why are you so critical about ROM? You must not like them for some yeah. personal reason. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, Romana, it was, it's rough going for white people. You know, I just what I'm going to say. Well, well, I was going to say, like, it was funny because I did see an article about that, um, how white guys are totally um, the bad guys now in almost every show. And then there were, you know, and then people pointed out that Ted Lasso is one of the, one of the few shows now where there's like one good white guy, but it's okay. I mean, I know like white people are so upset. Like there's a lot of white people upset whenever like white people are shown in bad light. I'm like, listen, you've been the good guy for like ever since I started watching movies. It's okay for you to be the bad guy because all of people who look like me, we're always like on the side, just one dimensional terrorist. We're always the bad guys. So it's okay for us to dissect you and the way you behave <laughs> a but, little more. So I, I think it's good. By the way, and to the point, uh, and, and I'm stealing Romana's line from her. Oh, well, that's how it goes. Uh, yeah. But it was you the one who pointed out, uh, the person who put this show together, and let's give him a shout out, yeah. his name is White. <laughs> Mike White. And he's a white guy. Mike yeah. White. And he's a white guy. He's so, so white, his name is White. Yeah, he is He is actually really, really white. Like, I mean, pale. So, I mean, I'm just... Just saying, he's a, he's been a, he's an he's an actor, and he you've probably seen him, and uh, the audience has probably seen him in School of Rock. That's probably one of the biggest movies that he's been in. But he's been he's been in Hollywood for a long time, and so yeah, his name is White too, which I thought was pretty funny. It it did crack me up, and you know these these are like I'm not saying these are like you know everybody has to change who they are, but I do think it raises good questions. You know, a lot of people are against systematic racism, but people don't look. I think a lot of white people don't realize how privileged and entitled they are or they like get to live in the world where everything is kind of designed for them and their everyday interactions. I think it was I think I think the show was good because it showed how like these smaller interactions kind of 
feed the whole system. That's what I liked about it. Absolutely. And by the way, I just want to say, uh, I would, if I had a rank, uh, who were the most obnoxious uh, characters uh, in this show? And there's a long list of them. Because like I said, it's just, there's nobody that looks good in this show that's a guest, with the exception of the son. I would say at the top of the list would not be a white man. It would be those two w- young women sitting around the swimming pool, one of whom is a person of color who just radiate a meanness, Ramana. You know, they're just, they just radiate. They're like mean girls on steroids. And I, I, I would have to say, go ahead. There, there was a top 10 list. I, I saw an article, I'm going to send it to you after we're done with the show, about um, the worst characters, the worst people on that show, like the worst characters. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't those two women. They're on it, but um, it's a white male. And it's not the one you probably think. All right. So I'll send, uh, I'll send it to you afterwards. Send you the article. Okay. Now, who I already revealed, I, the, of all the people in that show, the, I me, thought the meanest. To, Go ahead. I thought it was the um, husband. To me, the the husband of that couple, the newly married, married couple, he was like one of the worst to me because he epitomized a white guy to me, like a bro. You know, it's like he it was just like the worst things about white guys. Like they're so entitled. They think that everything is about them. And I'm married to a white guy, okay? So like I'm But he's he's I'm not, not a saying, bro, okay? <laughs> he's he's not a bro. He's not a bro. I have to tell you it's really funny. When I told someone that I was getting married to Mick, Samina Mustafa, who's a guest on her show, and I'm like, yeah, I'm marrying a white guy. And then she said, well, at least he's not a bro. <laughs> so, like, so she did say that. That's just kind of funny. But Mike, I mean, Mick, I mean, I have some things that are probably entitled and very North Shore, but Mick doesn't think, Mick is pretty much a nice white guy. He's, a, he's one of the good ones, but he, he does have some things that I think are very I'm an entitled white guy. When we go to the airport, he gets so exasperated in the airport. I'm like, you're a white guy going through an airport. You've seen my two nephews, how they were treated in the airport. So I'm like, I told him, I'm like, you cannot complain about airport travel anymore as a white guy. But no, I, I make fun of him too all the time. So, Oh, it's always fun to make fun of Mick. That's one yes. of our, the, the, by the way, uh, when you, <laughs> I, I forgot to uh, say uh, the Jennifer Coolidge, who is a great, great actress in my humble opinion she's wonderful in everything she is uh and uh if you guys have ever seen the movie american pie uh, she's uh what is it stifler's mom in american pie she's so that's the MILF. Be act- uh yeah she's the MILF and uh in american pie literally uh and um in this movie she plays uh speaking of people uh that uh, romana loves to throw under the bus what i call the gwyneth paltrow character and um i i it was romana who introduced me to the concept of gwyneth paltrow i didn't really know much about her or take really out of the sentence i didn't know anything about her and i've learned a lot uh, from romana about her, uh, gwyneth and her sense of entitlement and man i would say that jennifer coolidge's character is pretty odious as well i mean the way she abandons oh totally uh, the the uh, the young black woman at the hotel. It just, folks. I I urge it. I urge everybody. In my opinion. It works as a soap opera that keeps you guessing a mur- murder mystery that keeps you wondering. You know, it keeps you the the, the suspense builds. Uh, there's some funny moments in the movie too, in the show too. The, the, 
episode three when um the <laughs> I don't want to give it away. Episode three is pretty funny when they throw the um the ashes into the sea is pretty funny. Uh, yeah, but which I talked about, which I talked about. I, I also have to say that I did like that one scene where that woman, you know, there's a black woman who works in the spa. That's one of the characters. That, that's a character Jennifer Coolidge makes a bond with. But there's a great scene where, you know, she's a very, she listens to people and these white women who come to their spa kind of use her as a therapist. And the best scene, like one of my, my younger sister and <laughs> my friend, they, you know, they were talking about it before I watched it and they're like, I loved it. So there's a scene where she's talking to this woman who she said she would talk to her, you know, and the, you know, this, she's a white woman who's complaining about her problems to this black woman. And then she just gets up and goes, I don't want to listen to this. And I love that scene because I do think it's very, you know, it's it just showing that, you know, people use this woman and then, you know, she gets up and says, screw it. And yeah, I think I'm it kind of shows how a lot of women in the service industry are treated. And a lot of them are women of color and they're kind of used as therapists and, and, you know, they're like, I had enough. I don't want to, yeah. and, you know, and it, I think somebody pointed out to also like as an African-American woman, like black women are always considered to be the mammies, you know, like, you know, listen, you know, taking care of white women and white children. And I, I love that scene where she just like F it. I'm not yeah, she goes, I'm out. Anymore. So I'm out. Yeah. yeah she, so I did. I, I forgot about that till right now. And I just want to say I really. So you think him. the bro is the most odious character of them all. And I to, think the to two. To me, he was. But I, the girls, I I thought were so obnoxious. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I liked. I That's what I liked about it because they thought they were really woke and uh, different than everybody else. But they really weren't. They were just as obnoxious just because you yeah. pretend you read all these like lofty books and, you know, <laughs> books that are about equality does not mean that you're about equality. No, she's reading Nietzsche by the pool. Come on. Yeah, but that was I mean? funny. Yeah? Yeah. It's, so pre- it's so pretentious because like, okay, someone like me, I mean, it's not like I, okay, I don't purport to be like the smartest person in the universe, but if I'm going to sit on a beach, I'm going to be reading like a summer read or like a fashion magazine or something. But it's just like, Nobody reads those books on the beach and finishes them in a day because they'd have yeah, a different no. book every day. And I think that was uh, something they were pointing out that they're kind of full of it. Yeah, they're they were doing drugs. Yeah, they're uh, yeah, they're like if, if I could tie it all together and uh, Mick will get a, a smile out of it. There's like Rom, Rom's reading list. I, I wrote a story about Mayor Rom's reading list when yeah. he's the mayor. It was filled with these enormous, complicated, difficult to read uh, tomes that. It would take, Mick and I used to joke, it would take us two months to read one of these books. And Rom's like, yeah, this is my favorite book of all time. I'm like, give me a break. <laughs> you are so full of it. Anyway, Ramana Hussein, uh, I think you and I agreed. Two thumbs way up to the White Lotus. And your next assignment is to watch Hacks. So we can take the deep dive on Hacks. Gene Smart is brilliant in hacks first i gotta first i gotta finish paul mccartney because i do want to talk to you about that oh yes the paul McCartney, paul McCartney, um, Hulu. Um, I, I started that already and hopefully finish it soon all right very good ramana hussein thank you very much it's always a blast talking to you thank you take care everybody <laughs>